Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. This episode is another live discussion featuring women of color leading on Capitol Hill. Tracking done by the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies found that people of color account for 38% of the U.S. population, but only 13.7% of U.S. House top staff. They also reported that people of color accounted for only 7.1% of U.S. Senate top staff. We partner with the Black Women's Congressional Alliance to bring together Sonali Desai, Christina Henderson, Sieta Kinandoli, Angela Ramirez, and Kenan Austin Reed to discuss their paths to Capitol Hill and how they are working to make policies that better reflect the daily lives of people of color. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I have five amazing women with me tonight. So I want to start off with just having you all introduce yourselves, give us your name, what you do, and tell us a woman of color in politics that has inspired you. Hi, everybody. I'm Keenan Austin Reed. I'm chief of staff to Congressman Donald McEachin and one of the co-founders of the uh, Black Women's Congressional Alliance. I'm going to cheat and just give two answers here. So a while ago, I heard Ashanti speak. Um, and y'all remember 2018 where we were trying to take back the house and we needed something right after, uh, I won't speak for everybody, but I needed something to pour my energy into. And Ashanti was rallying the troops and talking about how we win and specifically how women win and more specifically how women of color win. And so you are so inspiring. So thank you for allowing me. So when we talk about women who inspire, I want to say Ashanti Golar, number one. Um, <laughs> Don't make me cry now. I'm not wearing waterproof mascara. <laughs> it's not supposed to be that kind of panel discussion. All right. And my number two is definitely Frederica Wilson, the woman that got me here. Y'all saw her stand up to John Kelly. Y'all saw her stand up to Donald Trump. The woman does not know fear. Okay. Um, and so I would not be where sitting here without her. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sonali Desai. I'm chief of staff for Congresswoman Judy Chu from Los Angeles, California. Um, and then I would say I have multiple women that uh, of color that inspire me. But um, right now, I feel really inspired by the um, women of the freshman class of the 116th Congress. Um, I think it's just it's really special because um, we saw them run like underdog campaigns in 2018 and then now to see them here making up the most diverse Congress in history and then to see them at the table doing the work um, that they came here to do uh, and be so, so successful um, has been an inspiring thing for me. So before I start, I wanted to thank Ashanti for inviting us here and, and creating this platform for all of us to be able to you know, voice you. our opinions and get our voices heard out there. Um, so my name is Sieta Kiandoli. I am the director of engagement for the Democratic leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer. Um, and a woman in politics who inspires me. Um, I have been thinking about this question, actually. <laughs> um, actually, it's one of my very good friends. Um, she's a lieutenant governor of Minnesota named Peggy Flanagan. Love Peggy. <laughs> Check out her podcast episode. I so Peggy and I have been um, movement organizers for over 15 years together. Um, but she's also just an incredibly kind, passionate leader. And I think she speaks for Minnesota, but also for Native communities. I think that oftentimes we're like that. We're the voice for our communities, not just in whatever our state or um, districts are, but also 
across the country, so she inspires me. My name is Angela Ramirez, and I'm Chief of Staff for Assistant Speaker Lujan. I'll say thank you too for having us. Uh, I'm going to say the one I keep thinking about um, is Justice Sotomayor. Got to hear her speak a little while back, and we know her story, we know how incredible she is, but the thing that I keep hearkening back to is uh, the doubt that she expressed to us when she was going through uh, her, her time with our friends in the Senate. And at one point she said to the room that, that I was in, just, you know, she wasn't sure if she could keep going or that she wanted to. And she kind of went back to her friends and they, they got her straight. <laughs> that is how she put it. And she kept going. And to me, you know, as powerful as she is, as incredible as she is, to, to not only have the doubt, but then to express it to a room, I thought was just for me really inspirational. And then the other group of people I keep coming back to are the young staffers that year after year, this is my 17th year in the house. Every year they graduate and they come, and every year DC is expensive, you know, whether they're thousands of miles from home, to have an impact on Capitol Hill, and to me it's just the most inspiring thing. Awesome. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Christina Henderson, I'm a I am a legislative assistant uh, for Senator Chuck Schumer, I work on education and workforce issues. I'm also a co-founder of the Black Women's Congressional Alliance in we are so grateful for this opportunity to partner with the Brown Girls Guide, so thank you, Ashanti, for that. Um, in terms, and I have also been thinking about this a lot as well. It's like such a heavy question, but um, all of you guys have chosen someone who's living. I'm gonna go back a little further, um, especially given the political time that we are in, I find myself harking back to the words of the late Congresswoman Barbara Jordan often. Um, who was a congresswoman from Texas, um, whose words just rang so true during the Nixon impeachment. So if you haven't heard her speeches from that time, go back, because she spoke with such clarity around you know, the importance of the Constitution and the importance of democracy. And I feel like in this moment, we need those reminders. Um, and so that's, that's someone who is inspiring me right now. Awesome answers. All right, so let's really get into our discussion. So this season we're talking about public service. So what made each of you choose that as a career out of all of the things that you could do? And then for me, I also want to know, what made you choose Capitol Hill? And I say that because I did work for a congressman on the campaign side, but for me, it was never even a thought to move to D.C. or go to Capitol Hill. And a lot of that had to do with not seeing a lot of people that look like me. So even though I had entered the political space as a campaign staffer, that still felt something that was out of bounds where I really didn't belong. So what made you all choose this path? Take a stab at it. So speaking of uh, just needing to see it and so much of why we do the Black Women's Congressional Alliance is about uh, bringing women along and exposing them, because if you can see it and you can see yourself in the role, then that possibility becomes available to you. I didn't really choose public service so much as it was just sort of there. So I was in the NAACP Youth Council, and I went up to the board chairman who looked very important. <laughs> and I didn't really know titles. I'm 17 years old, and I go up to him and I say, I need a job. And he says, you start in my office two weeks from now. That was Julian Bond's son. 
Michael Julian Bond, who was an Atlanta City Council member at that time. And it sort of found me. Um, I found myself doing constituent services, which led to planning events. And then my dad looks up one day and he's like, God, they got you running the office. How Do they know how old you are? <laughs> and it was really, um, the council member just let me dive in uh, feet first. And so that sort of, it found its way to me. And sort of, I stumbled into Congress similarly. I went to a fundraiser trying to support a soror who was then state senator, Frederica Wilson. I struck a, a good conversation with her campaign manager and she said, Oh, baby, you're smart. Why don't you come? <laughs> you got Amazing impression. I think all of us who are laughing can see it. Because <laughs> I'm from Atlanta, and if your elders say something, you're like, well, okay, I, I, now I have to do whatever. Whatever I was planning on doing is not happening. So she says, come to our campaign meeting. And so I go, and they say, well, you know, you're the youngest in the room. Take the notes. And I said, <laughs> great. I didn't mind. I, I had a full-time gig as a farmer rep. Um, and I sent the notes back as a memo. And they're like, oh, can you do Facebook? And I said, okay, yeah, I can do the Facebook. And it turned into <laughs> Twitter, turned in, can you drive her? Can you staff her? Ultimately, can you take a lead from your job and manage this campaign? And that led me to Washington. So it's my story. So I'll, I'll go. Um, so it's sort of some, I mean, it is all very similar. I actually didn't even know that like public service could be a career or Working on the Hill was an option. I stumbled upon it, very happenstance. Um, somewhat similar circumstances where I was like, I just want a job. Um, and I've bounced around, I think, a lot. I mean, I did a lot of political campaign work, organizing with labor unions, that type of thing. Um, what brought me back to the Hill, because I used to, I started on the Hill and then I came back to the Hill 15 years later. Because um, I was decidedly not a Hill person in my head, um, which my staff, like the team, always laughs when I say that because they're like, "It's too late. Like the jig is up. You're here now." Um, I don't know. I feel like there's two pathways to power, right? And like our work is hard. We work long hours. We don't get paid a lot, <laughs> uh, and it's it's challenging, but it's very fulfilling. But it is also kind of a privilege to be able to have this level of access, to be the voice for a lot of folks, even when times are tough, and to also to help shift power structures. I don't think that we really, sometimes you take it for granted. Um, and I think for me, coming back to the Hill, particularly to come into this, I, I knew what I was walking into, even though I'd like to pretend like I was like, oh, this is not gonna be as challenging as I thought. I mean, I came back right after Trump, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but for me, every day, that, that's what keeps me in it and keeps me serving is because I can always remember that. And um, I always tell this story to people because there's this one time I was walking in the office, I was exhausted, I'm walking across the Capitol Plaza, and there were these like little black kids, and they were like, can you imagine if you got to work here every day? And I was like... I really need to. <laughs> I need to appreciate this a little bit more because they see us going into the offices and I think it does serve as, as a, a reminder that this is an opportunity from where I didn't even know that that could be a path for me. I came up in it, I didn't think of it as public service, but my parents were always engaged in some sort of civic engagement. Before I even really knew what it was, I was knocking doors with my dad, just who knows what it was for, but I was the cute kid, so someone wouldn't slam the door in his face, is, is his theory. My baby book, I 
only recently looked at this again, and in the front, it gave some little news announcement on how I was, uh, the day I was born, another Chicana was born for the cause. Like, that's at the top of my baby book. So they were, they were in it. It was the 70s, and they were, like, ready to to make some impact. You have to take a photo of that. That has to be like I your should, throwback I Thursday. Should. I know. It's pretty adorable. Uh, next to like a lot of other and more embarrassing things. So we'll flop that page off. But um, So I grew up with it, but I didn't think of it as public service. I just thought of it like there were problems in my community, so my parents would march. There were problems in my community, so my parents would take people to go vote. And I really did not want to do it as a career. I had friends who were like in student government and they wanted, you know, all these other things. And I just wanted, I mean, I was like 18. I didn't want to be anything like my parents. Uh, I wanted to go into comedy writing, so I got very into that and just sort of like blocked out anything political. Um, but it kept finding me. Um, when I was in college, Prop One. I grew up in California, Prop 187, and got involved in that a little bit and just couldn't really sit by the sidelines. And then when I was graduating, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I thought I'd you know try my hand in some different things. And every time... I thought about doing another job. I kept coming back to it. And now, you know, 25 years in or whatever it is, I don't want to do the math, but um, <laughs> a very many, many, many long time. Um, it's kind of been basically my entire career. And it, it really, I think, just it was just kind of what I grew up with, uh, just wanting to see change. And in terms of the Hill, I was in DC doing some other job and um, Genuinely, what happened was I just wound up liking other Hill staff. I was just, I found my crazy nerds and, yeah, and I was like, I guess these are my people. House staff, my goodness. Um, and so I just got really into hanging out with them and then took a job. And again, every time I've thought about leaving, it's like, oh, but there's my friends at the vending machine. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> eating dinner together. Oh, so I just keep doing it. So it's a little bit of like I'm in it for the cause, but also just the reality of the day to day, just loving the people I get to work with. So I would say I have like the exact opposite experience from you. Um, I grew up in a super like apolitical household, child of immigrants. We grew up in a very small town in rural South Carolina. Politics was not a thing we discussed, voting was not really a thing we discussed. And I think, you know, uh, my parents, at least I was the oldest child, and um, there was an expectation of, you know, what does success look like? It's a lawyer, it's an engineer, it's a doctor, or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to do any of that because my parents said that's good, so I need to do something different. And then in seventh grade, I was like, I'm starting a, you know, a young Democrats club at my middle school. But I had a teacher at the time who was, um, you know, willing to meet me outside of class. And we got three of my friends together and we went to her house, you know, after school one day. And she taught us about, you know, the different organizations in our hometown and who's running for what and city council and how mayors work and all of that stuff. And I would say from then on, I just had tunnel vision. I didn't entertain any sort of other career option. Um, and then in college, I got my first Hill internship. And then similar to you, I was like, I found my people. This is where I belong. I see myself here. I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. Um, so as soon as I graduated um, from college, I moved up here without a job. I printed out my resumes on you know, the nice piece of 
stock paper. Um, and then I just went door to door and started handing it out to the staff assistant that was sitting in the front of the office, which I didn't realize at the time doesn't have any influence in hiring decisions. Um, <laughs> but like spent a lot of time chatting them up. And so yeah, and then and then eventually, luckily, I got my start with Mel Watt from North Carolina. And then it's history from there. But yeah. Um, yeah, so and I honestly thought, though, for my like life's work after I like got over the fact that I was not going to be the next Whitney Houston, I thought that I was going to be a writer. Um, I wrote for the local paper. I wrote for the school paper. And I thought that that was like I literally went to school to like be an English major. And then the 2004 election happened and like things shifted because I was like, I cannot believe we did not vote in a different way. And um, um, and I actually, I remember the day, so I, I don't know if most of you remember, but on election night 2004, we did not know who the winner was. We went home and, you know, had to go to sleep. And then they woke up the next morning and I remember them announcing it like in between classes. And I went back to my freshman dorm and these girls were talking about, and one of the girls said, and I went to college in South Carolina, so you know. And uh, one of the girls was like, um, I don't think I could ever vote for a woman for president because the United States would never be taken as like a serious world power. And I was just standing there and, you know, these other girls were starting to agree with her. And I was like, are you for real? Like, hello, you're women. <laughs> and they asked me, and um, all I remember saying was, I'm going to prove you wrong. And it wasn't even me thinking that I was going to run for office, but I knew that like I'm going to help prove this situation wrong and like deliver a woman to the White House just to be able to say like this girl, I'm not gonna mention her name, is wrong. And from there, sort of like, okay, I think, you know, what do you do in politics? How do you get involved? And so like talk to people at city council, et cetera, et cetera. So like working on Capitol Hill was always seen as like the North Star for political science majors. Like this is what you're going to do. And then of course, you know, moving to DC after the 2008 election without having a job, the left wing in a prayer, essentially. I took a job at Macy's in gift wrap during Christmas. Uh, <laughs> so you can only imagine what that was like um, and like did resumes. And my first Hill job was one of those quintessential being in the right place at the right time. Um, I bumped into the late Senator Kay Hagan in a bar the night she was sworn in. And we started chatting and she was like, wait, your mom's in the military, you live in North Carolina, and you don't have a job? I was like, all of those things are true. And she was like, well, let's see if we can fix this. And I started in her office about a week later. And that was my first tour of duty on, on the Hill. Sometimes what keeps me up at night is thinking about how much farther we have to go as a country. One of the things I do to feel better is dive back into my work to get women recruited and trained to run for office across the country. I know that many of you feel the same way. Brooke is a small dollar donor with AppBlue who said that she likes to give to candidates she's most passionate about when she's feeling this way. In her words, I donate so I can sleep at night. I donate to encourage amazing young candidates who have stepped up. I donate to try to save our democracy. Like Brooke, I'm constantly thinking about how we can get more women elected who can enact the change we so desperately need. One of the many things we need to get these incredible women elected is funding. So much of this comes from small dollar donors who give through ActBlue. ActBlue is a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that makes it easy to give and to make your voice heard. 
They help thousands of Democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. They're more powerful than any mega donor. Visit secure.actblue.com backslash about to become a small dollar donor yourself. That's secure.actblue.com backslash about. I love that. And that's a great segue into our next question because you hit on the fact that there are some women who may not be about other women. We just got to say that. We got to call it what it is. But there are those women who are like the late senator. So tell us a little bit how women, especially women of color, have helped you along your path. Because for me, it's something that I always talk about is that I don't pretend like I got here on my own. I absolutely did not. There are tons of women behind me who helped get me here, who helped get this podcast off the ground, even with the things I'm doing now. So tell us a little bit about how that has played a role in your career. Countless. It's countless. From, you know, young women of color who taught me when I was a kid that I, you know, saw them as good writers and able to stand in front of a classroom. And and my grandmother who uh, taught migrant farm workers and kind of thinking about what that meant and how I wanted to emulate to, uh, I'm thinking of one woman in particular, but a ton of women on the Hill when I was more junior uh, and when I was applying for senior jobs. I'm thinking of one story where I showed her my application and she basically like almost rewrote it for me <laughs> and was like, not that reference, not that one, do this, someone from downtown, someone from a nonprofit, get this out of there, what are you thinking with this? Just the whole thing, a, a massive amount of time. And yeah, you have to have that person in your squad. I mean, really amazing. Um, and then to people today who still, I mean, it's just countless. It's all the time, it's all levels. And it's also, it's, it's people more senior than me, but also people more junior than me um, that kind of keep me... Uh, focus on what I want to do, which I don't think we talk enough about. I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, finding mentors and finding people to look towards, but we don't think, or I, I'll speak for myself, I don't often think enough about um, younger people and, and people that are newer to this and how sometimes the freshness that they bring actually really supports a lot of the, the goals that I have for myself and the work that I want to do. I actually am sort of uh, a weirdo in that I actually came out of school with my MBA. And so I didn't start off in politics. I started off uh, as an associate buyer at Macy's. And there was a black woman. Macy's, two shout outs. <laughs> That's right. I used to be the men's neckwear buyer. But there I had a black woman boss who, and, and there were not a lot of us in our space. And for you to make it to buyer was a really big deal. And she would be on me to not touch my key, my mouse when trying to build an Excel sheet, she'd say, use the command, she would stand over me and like make me use the control keys. That was very important because when I had so much of the job, I needed to be quick and I needed to be fast. And she trained me privately. She was hard on me privately. Um, I had to present and she would make me present to her. And I would, you know, basically want to cry in baseball. But, <laughs> you know, I thank God that she was tough and got me together privately. And then when we were in the presentation, she totally had my back. Like I mentioned earlier, Congresswoman Wilson, when we started in DC, she looked at me, she said, Keenan, you know, you're gonna have a hard time in DC. And you know, she's like oh, a soothsayer in this. And she said to me, she said, you like to get things done. And people don't always like to get things done. <laughs> and I just want you to prepare yourself for that. But 
<laughs> and she mentored me in that way. And then, like Angela mentioned, they're, the men in my life, the like other male Hill staffers that are friends, they joke and they're like, you guys got this underground railroad going of women. Because <laughs> we get together and we, you know, we figured out if you want to uh, have women of color in jobs, they've got to know about it. They've got to be prepared for it. And you've got to tell women, there's some science behind, like, you know this about asking women to run. You've got to ask a woman to run like seven times or something like Similar with jobs, I figured out that you've got to tell a staffer, a, a woman of color, oh, I could see you as the LD4. And she's like, really? I don't know if I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready. And you have to be assertive and say, no, I think you can do this. And then I've been the benefactor of that sort of thing. I would say for me, um, I think having other women of color in your office actually helps a lot. So when you're not the only one, to provide a counter in terms of the advice that other people are giving you. So I remember, um, you know, in my first Hill office when I was working for Senator Hagan and had a conversation, and my LD was like, oh, you don't need to go to grad school. You could just, you know, just pound it out for several years and you just, you know, whatever and work it out, et cetera. And there was a black woman um, who was in LA in my office and uh, she pulled me to the side and she was like, don't listen to him. He's a white man. You're a black woman. You're going to grad school because they're paying for it and you're going to come back and it's going to be fine. And that was like such valuable experience to be able to hear just, just in terms of somebody breaking down, like the rules that exists for one group do not necessarily exist for you. And that's a very sad reality, but it's true. And sometimes you need somebody to share that reality with you. So um, so like everybody here, I have, we, there's a two sets. So I'll start with, I think the very first black woman that I saw that like just made me be like, I, I need to be like this. I was a baby staffer. Um, <laughs> Uh, working for the Congressional Black Caucus, I was I was this tall, <laughs> um, and she was a communications director, and she did very similar things, pulled me to the side, but there were a couple of like key things that I just sort of stuck out throughout my whole career. So the one she went away for like a month, and I was like a staff assistant. I mean, I was green, and she and she go. She said to me like, "You're gonna have to deal with press while I'm away for a little bit." I knew that on the hill, like to give your contact list was a big deal. Um, you know, you're not supposed to give this to me. She goes, "These are my relationships, and I have worked very hard to maintain them, and you can't take that away from me." So remember that throughout your career. So that's one moment, and I think that that has, you know, really, I, I do that in every single thing I do. It's probably the longevity of my career has sort of existed because I've built real relationships with people, and in a transactional world, and we would all admit that, that's sort of my gift, and that I've learned to do that over and over again. I think the second one is, an, and it sort of, you know, um, dovetails from this, is that we have what we call like our sister mentors. Um, so there was, when I was middle of career and we were sort of looking around and we were like, who's our, who's our, the person that we're gonna model our career after? And I think, you know, I, this was when, I mean, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, there, this room would not exist. It wouldn't have. Um, and so we really took care of each other. We found jobs for each other. We corrected everybody's resumes. We found, like, we would 
push you when you were crying. We'd pick people back up. I mean, and it has stuck throughout these years. And I think even now, when someone quits a job or is not doing well, um, we figure out ways, even just like, we'll find them seed money or a contract position or whatever it is that allows them to stay in this work, but also that uplifts them and reminds them that there's somebody else that um, is looking out for them. And I think that that was, that was a harder lesson to learn throughout my career, is like sort of to take that leap, but it's a lot easier when you have a soft pace to land with a, a group of women who are taking care of you. And then I have um, so many women, um, obviously, but the one that comes to mind um, that has impacted me most recently is my predecessor, um, the woman who had the job before I did, uh, the chief of staff role, is Linda Shim. And uh, she was also an API woman um, in this leadership position, and she was really the first time that I saw what um, a woman you know, of color, um, an API woman, could look like in leadership. She was, you know, she was serious, she was always had the right answer, you know, she was so good about providing feedback, and she was a strong leader, but then she was also compassionate. So I think she showed um, me a lot about how to emulate that and be uh, that type of manager and leader as well. And you all have hit on this in some way or another, but it is being the only brown girl in the room and the lack of diversity on Capitol Hill. And it has gotten better, but we know there's always room for improvement. And all of you have really great, important roles. So what are some ways that you are working to make sure you're not the only brown girl in the room and bringing people along with you, especially those younger staffers of color? Ashanti, to to do that work, it is a full-time job. I've accepted this. Um, I tried to think like, oh, you know, you can like um, work at night, but it, it's um, getting uh, more diverse staff on the Hill is a full-time ministry that I'm so happy <laughs> that I've got a lot of great partners. One, the co-founders of the Black Women's Congressional Alliance, that's how I came to be. We were very like-minded in knowing that this needed to change and we had to be there for each other to change it. Also, I have to give a shout out to my husband, Michael Reed, who's also a chief of staff. And we open our homes to people. So um, if you're having a tough time in your office or you want to move up or you need career advice, we take calls day and night um, <laughs> and we will feed you um, and we will forward your resume. We will correct the resume. And I think our partnership really, really helps with that. And I'll just give another nod to the Black Women's Congressional Alliance. It's what we thought was... I. Christina may feel differently. I, I thought it was really going to be one happy hour. Um, I do too. Don't worry. Because oh. <laughs> we, we start off with just a happy hour. Well, a listserv that turned into a happy hour. But there were, we saw a need and a community that needed us to just have a space. Sometimes it's professional development, but sometimes it's just seeing another brown girl, especially for, particularly for our sisters in the Senate, they look like, oh my God, I have not seen a black woman all day long. Like, <laughs> my God. <laughs> because it's, sometimes it's true. <laughs> and so um, I'm so glad that um, we've been able to do this work over the past two years. <laughs> make it sound like it's like well, it's a it's, black woman it, in the abyss it's different for the house side the house side we come in and we say it's good to see you i saw you in longworth but when y'all come it's like homecoming like my sister 
<laughs> but we love our sisters in the Senate. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. And it is, okay, sure, it's true that sometimes on the Senate side, when you see another black person, you're like, I don't know who you are, and I know all of y'all. So who you belong to? What office are you in? Did, when, did you just get here? Have you met the other people? Let me connect you. So you don't sit in the cafeteria by yourself. Yeah, yeah. because it's lonely. No, I get it. I get it. I'm just here for the sense of community. I do want to <laughs> I do want to give so a, much shame. I want to give a shout out to to all of our allies that have been supportive cuz when you talk about Linda Shim and Angela, they've been we've we've also uh, developed a nice tri caucus network that I think has been able to uplift staff. The BGG love promoting Black Women's Congressional Alliance Week. I was actually looking back at the posts because I'm just starting to do year and stuff, and it was one of our most popular posts this year. People really loved seeing it. Oh, yeah, really nice. <laughs> so just tell, tell us a little bit more about the BWCA. We know you love bringing your sisters from the Senate together. <laughs> the shade. Senate now means shade. <laughs> and then also, what are some of the initiatives that you all are working on? And for those who are listening who wanted to support the BWCA, what are some things they could do? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, BWCA has a lot going on. I think one thing that um, I would just say, we try to be re- super responsive to the people we serve. So uh a lot of people come up to all of us, Christina and I, our board members, Megan, Kimma, Chastney, everybody. And they say, um, how do I join BWCA? If you are a black woman and you work on Capitol Hill uh, and you work in the House and the Senate, you are a member of BWCA and we work for you. Um, it is as simple as saying we want this event. We are looking for every avenue to empower uh, staffers. We want to make sure that they are trained. We just did a really successful panel on um, schedulers because a lot of people overlook the scheduler and we want to make sure that people have those tools. I love schedulers because I need lots of things from members. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and all the schedulers are like, man, nobody does anything for me, but they have so much power because they are the gatekeepers and they control the access. And so we want to make sure that um, whether you're in LA, even if you're support staff, there was someone that gave me a wonderful idea about um, I, uh, hidden jobs on the Hill. There, there are hundreds of jobs on Capitol Hill that pay really amazing salaries that we have no clue about. So I think the, the short and easy answer is BWCA has a lot cooking. Some of it is like so good, but I just can't talk about it. <laughs> Um, I think what you should expect to see next year are more professional development. We've got some great partnerships. And so um, the sharpening, the saw that has to happen um, that only we can do for each other. And we come at, we come at it from a lens of um, what a woman of color would need. Um, when Christina spoke about that specific advice, like we're, we're you know, we know that the white boy is going to get what the white boy is going to get. And you've got to do what you've got to do. You know, I think everybody's mama might have every little black girl's mama looked at her and said, you got to work twice as hard. So sadly, that remains true. Um, And so we will be be approaching professional development from that space. We'll continue to have social and networking spaces. Um, Very soon on Friday, we'll have a a get-together holiday party. We're joining with African-American men on the Hill. For everybody who says, will you guys never do anything for men? I heard you. I heard you. (laughs) 
We hear you, okay? Yeah. We're doing a party with the guys. Um, and we're just going to keep growing. It's an it's, it's sort of epic to see how many um, wonderful partners we picked up. And Ashanti, you just like adopted us and made our stuff look so legit. <laughs> it is legit. It is. It is. But it's, it's um, when, it, when we talk about BWCA, it's such a startup. And it's like, <laughs> we literally do this all via like a group chat. Yeah. It's like, do you want to do, do this panel? Yeah. Okay, girl. And then it's like all these like text messages that happen. It's, it's really, and it's made with love and it's um, no budget. And if you want to. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Oh wait, can you, can I give a shout out to like the members of Congress who have like yes. taken us under their wing? Who are yes. Like, okay, girls, you gonna you gonna make it? You gonna do good? Yes. <laughs> because yes. Um, they have been so helpful as well. So we'll be doing um, more things with um, the the Black women of 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 the Congress of the 116th yeah. Congress next year, which we're really excited about too. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I look forward to promoting it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to support us, one, if join our listserv if you want to know about our events. And we're always looking for space for our several events. Yes. So if you have, and then. Free space. Yeah, free space. And then <laughs> um, there, there are odd things that only you know you can do. So if you like websites, if you want to help us package, if you want to promote, if you've got, you know, I mean, somebody wrote us from Princeton and they said there are some, there are, uh, Oh no, they didn't write us. They wrote Not Angela somebody. Ramirez for cutting me out of the whole story. <laughs> well, tell your own story. Tell your own story. There were a group of no, girls who were coming. There were a group of young women uh, from my alma mater who were coming, and initially Princeton. from Princeton. And uh, initially, they wanted to do a, a meeting with other African American women in D.C. And the topic was hair. And black hair. Black hair. And so I, I texted my friend Keenan and she put the whole thing together and they had an amazing time. And these kids, they're like twenty years old and it was just phenomenal to to listen to their stories. And then that turned into the Crown Act where and we got to partner with Ajua. So it's it's organic and it's amazing. Yeah. So if you want to work with us, just text us. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, our time with you wonderful women is coming to an end, so I'm going to ask you the signature question of the BGG podcast. What advice do you have for the brown girls out there listening that are saying, I want to be just like her? I think brown girls don't think you have to have all the answers today. For all the people looking at you saying, what are you doing in two years and five years, that's their problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right now, just be excellent everywhere you are. If someone gives you the, the papers to stack and you're an intern, stack those papers in the best way you know how. Um, because people make quick assessments about you and you just never know how those assessments show up for you in very positive ways. Um, so that's, what, that's, what, that's my advice. Oh, um, so I have two big ones. The first is always take jobs that you can learn from. So it was sort of what Keenan is saying. I had no idea that I would be back in the leader's office. That path started because I just would say, well, you know what? They say that we're not supposed to do fundraising. I'm going to try to learn how to be a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Oh, we should probably learn how to do field work. Maybe I should be a trainer. I really want to learn how to write plans. So every job I took was sort of a building block to the next job. And I didn't know that you know, 15, 20 years later that this is where I would end up. 
Um, but it all started with how do I push myself and how do I push myself out of my comfort zone and learn new exciting things. And then it's always a ne the next challenge. I think the second one is, and this took me a little bit longer to figure out, is to always go into every job with intention of what you plan on getting out of it. Because I think our bosses know exactly <laughs> what they're going to get from us. Um, <laughs> and so it is helpful for you as you're thinking about your goals for your life and all of those things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, I'm going to make this salary. It could be, you know, I want a little bit more balance in my life. Or I want to learn a new skill. Or I want to build this new relationship. But whatever it is, go with it in, with purpose. And then you, you don't feel bad when you leave, whenever that is. So those are my two big ones. And it's been really helpful out my, with the, throughout my career. I'd say be brutally honest with oneself about what you're good at, especially what you're not good at. If you're a great writer or not, get better if you want to. If you're great at networking or not, get better if, if you feel like it's important. And I think a lot of us tend to run away toward from the things that we're not good at or sort of pretend it's not there or put it at the bottom of our to-do list. But the faster, the more direct you can be with yourself about what is working for you, about both your skill set and sort of your, you know, everything that your paradigms, everything you bring to the table. Um, and then the other thing I would say, and I think we've heard it from people uh, across the panel tonight is just find a group of people that you really trust that um, will be positive, that will be honest with you. It For me, it took a long time to find a, a small group of people, but once you find them, just, just treat them like they're the best bosses you'll ever have because for me, they have been. Um, again, they keep me in check, they keep me motivated, but they also just help me um, be exactly who I should be. And I guess I'll say one more. Uh, and I uh, is be whoever you are, right? So the question is, how to be like me? There's already one of me, and uh, that's plenty. <laughs> ask, again, ask my parents, <laughs> ask my husband. It's plenty. The one of me is plenty. Um, I would say my piece of advice would be to once you've been brutally honest with yourself and you know what you're good at and you know it exactly what you want to do, to be persistent. Um, I think, you know. Sometimes people can give up pretty easily, but if you apply for a job and you interview and you don't get it, you can follow up with the person that you interviewed with and ask, you know, what you could have done better or what was missing. Um, if you email someone for coffee uh, that you know think you think could be really helpful in your career and they don't respond, you know, follow up with them uh, again. I think. Uh, a lot of people take those types of things as signs that they shouldn't be doing something, and it's not. Um, so be persistent. And it comes to me. I agree with everything else that everyone else has said. And they're like, people have sort of still, you know, taken some of mine. Um, I, there are two things I would say if you, number one, know why you're in this work. Have your own sort of compass to remind yourself because you will be hit with so much. And you have to just, like, it is actually not about you. It is about this particular reason to use it as your center and as your compass. Um, and then I think uh, becoming a mom has sort of put this more in perspective for me, but um, your work does not have to be your entire life. It's okay to do other things. It's okay to take time for yourself. It is okay because at the end of the day, that email, 
that bill is not going to be the thing that is going to meet you at home at night. <laughs> While you're like working and grinding, don't forget to take care of yourself and be like a full human because that actually makes you better at your work being a full human. Solid advice. Thank you so much, Sonali, Sierra, Angela. Thank you to Keenan and Christina and the Black Women's Congressional Alliance for partnering with us on this event. To leader Chuck Schumer's office, Alicia James for helping put it together. The Potter's House, which hosted us tonight. And of course, Act Blue, which sponsored this episode and has made so much that the BGG does possible. Thank you all so much. Enjoy your evening. Thank you to these wonderful women for waking up every day and fighting for us in Congress. A special thank you to the Black Women's Congressional Alliance and Alyssa James with Senator Chuck Schumer's office for helping make this episode possible. And a special thanks to Act Blue for sponsoring this episode. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website in between episodes at www.thebgguide.com and on our social media Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls.